I think if we pull the refrigerator out, maybe there's just something back here. So we pulled the refrigerator out of its cubby. Can't figure out anything. Can't figure out where the, the filter is at. Nothing. She opens up the refrigerator door and says, oh, I think it's right here. We've already moved the refrigerator out of the cubby at this point, right? We've already exerted all, because it's not like you empty the refrigerator when you're going to move it out like that. Right? And at the time, I wasn't a trained for warrior, so I didn't have nearly as much muscles as I do now. And so, I, I was a weakling, I'm just going to be honest about it. And so we pulled it out, and then she's like, there it is right there. And so she pulls it out, and she's like, this is all you need to do. Just go tomorrow to Home Depot and just buy this piece. Yes, dear. Great. We'll do it. So we push the refrigerator back into place, and she goes to put the filter back in. Honey... It's not going in. All right. So I took and I put the filter in and I twisted it shut. Locked it back in place. Just like you're supposed to. And of course the red light still going at us. It's mad about everything. But <laughs> hey, we're going to solve the problem in the morning. Let's just go to bed. So we close the refrigerator doors and we go and climb in bed and go to sleep. And somehow, through some miracle, our daughter sleeps through the night, all right? She did not sleep through the night very often as we were uh, through our early journey. If you want to know why there are eight years between kid number one and kid number two, it's because she didn't sleep. And when she doesn't sleep, you don't sleep. And when you don't sleep, you don't want another baby yet. It's a true story. So she slept through the entire night. Next morning, she comes running down the hallway, and she comes in the bedroom and as she jumps into the bed she says mommy my feet are all wet <laughs> now a three and a half year old who is just newly potty trained your first thought is that she's had an accident and so my wife was like oh wonderful thank you for letting me know about that and so she realizes that it's just the lower part of her feet that are all wet and her um, edges of her pajama pants that are wet, not her diaper. She's like, oh, well, we have two dogs. They're big dogs. And occasionally they would have messes in the house in the middle of the night, sometimes because they're mad at us, sometimes just because they're just dogs and dogs do what dogs do. And so then my wife is like, oh, great. So she's like walked right through the middle of like dog mess somewhere. And that's what's on the bottom of her feet. I know. 
Sounds good. That's the Brooke and, and, and Helen. So we're like, so my wife begins to go walk down the hallway to see where the dog accident might be at. And as she walks out of our door, her feet go, it is that swampy marshland carpet feel that you never want to feel. <laughs> I was still in the bed with the three and a half year old, kind of half asleep, half paying attention to her. Now I'm no longer asleep. I'm up because I am hearing a wife scream at me about I don't know what at this moment. And I get towards the door and I see the water that is three inches deep all across our floor in the kitchen and down the tile that was in the hallway and all the way across the baseboards there in the house. And we realized that we've got going on. And so obviously we messed with the refrigerator the night before, so the first thing we're thinking is it's the refrigerator. Whatever it was that was broken last night is really broken now. And so we went over and I shut the water off in the house and uh, we began to, to clean things up and we called the plumber in and he came and he pulled the filter out and when I had put the filter back in, I cracked it. So all night long, water had been running through the filter, filtered water, out and into our house. Oh my goodness. I could not believe it. And of course, he's looking at me like I'm an idiot, because I am, right? <laughs> but uh, he's like, really? You did that? And I was like, yeah, I did that. I did that. It wasn't anybody else in our house, but I did that. You know, that's so true of our, of our families, right? By the way, out of that experience, two great things happened. The first one was, is that my wife is much slower to have me do something. <laughs> yep. When I say, let's call the repairman, she usually starts looking on Craigslist or on one of those Angie's list or something like that to find a good repairman that is reputable because she knows that it's true, that I don't do a very good job. Number two, we got some beautiful hardwood floors off the deal. We've been wanting to do hardwood floors in the house, and so we got to rip out all of this carpet that had been perfectly good up to that point, because it was no longer perfectly good, and put in some hardwood floors. But you know, I, the truth is, is that I, I often look back on, on things in my family, and I ask that, that exact same question about, did I do that? Did I do that? You know, it usually happens after something unfortunate has happened in my family, right? Something disastrous has happened that I didn't know was gonna take place. I didn't foresee the consequences of it. I didn't think about the things that were going on there. And instead, I had to ask myself, ooh, did I do that? Things like statements that I hear my eight-year-old make. Mm, yeah, that happens to me sometimes. I know. And then she says it, and I go, oh, or I have that moment where I choose something selfish for myself instead of something for my family, and then later I have to live with the consequences of that. Can I do that? Yeah. And of course, just like in the show, we all know the answer to that question, right? We also know that 
usually when we ask that question, it's already too late. It's already too late. Well, you know, the first, first, the, the first point that I want to make today is this. Families are built, not born. Families are built, not born. Look back with me at verse 3. It says this. It says, by wisdom, a house is built. Now, our passage starts out by saying that a house or a family is built. It doesn't say that they are born. And you say, well, wait, what? Are, are you sure about that, Charles? Is that really what this is saying? All right, let's just take this passage very literally for just a second. All right? Because if we take this literally, then it says that by wisdom, a house is built. And it's talking about a literal structure here. Right? There's nobody in this room who would question that, right? We would say, of course, wisdom should build a house. How else would a house get here, right? It's not like a house just poof comes out of the sky. It's not like the ground just births up a house out of the middle of it, right? That doesn't happen. Somebody had to be intentional about a house with four walls getting there. In fact, we know the difference between somebody who is intentional and wise about building a house and somebody who is not, right? We see them. We see what the after effects of a non-wise builder looks like in their houses. The four walls don't meet up quite right. The roof doesn't keep the rain out quite right, although we don't have to worry about the rain here in Arizona, right? But the roof doesn't quite keep everything just right. The windows aren't positioned just right where they were thinking about where the sun was going to come in or in the morning or in the night or the door is not in the right spot to allow for cool evening breezes to come through if only somebody had thought about those sorts of things and the person who does would go my goodness they're incredibly wise because i would have never thought about all of that but on a very physical level we understand that things are built none of us would want a house that is not But wisdom, whenever you look at it, it has a top layer. It's kind of like peeling back an onion because it has a second layer that's to it. And so wisdom has a spiritual sense behind what it's talking about here. So on a spiritual level, what in the world could be a house? It's your family. It's the things that dwell inside of a house. It's a home. I love this as I was reading through um, different versions, the Amplified version came up and I, I read this, it says this, it says, through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built to last. Through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built love that. Now they put it all in parentheses because they want you to understand that's not exactly what the text says, but they're trying to give you a sense of what the text is saying right there. And that has some good things because when it says a house, it's talking about a life. It's talking about a home. It's talking about your family. And it says that we should be building those. Now we don't often think about a family as something that is built versus being Right? A family. We go, oh, that happens whenever uh, a man and a woman get together and a new baby happens. Right? Then a family is born. I'd say, oh, time out. 
doesn't sound very intentional. That's an oops, did I do that moment? You've got something that may not be a family. Because families are built. You know, when my wife and I were preparing to come and plant the church here, we had to go in front of our convention. So we're Southern Baptist is what we are, and that connects us with um, literally thousands of churches around the nation that we, we are autonomous, we get to do our own things, but um, we get to learn from them with all the things that they do, and we pool our resources for the purpose of mission, right? So the Southern Baptist Commission is the third largest mission organization in the world, right? Behind the Red Cross and the Salvation Army. Pretty incredible. So we get to be a part of that. Well, as we were preparing to come out here, our convention said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to prepare what we would call a business plan for how it is that you would build a church. Right? Now, time out for a second. I want to make sure that we all understand something very clearly. We're not building a church. All right? God is the only one who builds a church. He's the one who does it. We're just being faithful in the things that we're doing here. But I want you to understand that we do have some intentionality behind the things that we are doing as God is building this church. And one of the questions that came up was, who is it that your church is for? Who is it that this church is for? Now, the answer is everybody that lives here in this church. But they were like, no, no, we really want you to like narrow in and think about it. And so my wife and I prayed and we came up with this. This is who we would say that is our primary target of the Church of Australia, the person that we want to affect life change in the most. It's this, it is a millennial, all right? That's people that's born between 1980 and 2000, right? There are 84 million of them in the world today. One out of four people is a millennial. That is that family formation, all right? Now, family formation means this, that they have a four, three, four, five-year-old and a second one on the way. Here's what I learned about a second kid. It changes everything, all right? First one, right, we were like, two-on-one defense kind of thing. We could, like, trade off between who had it. You got to, like, you know, you're on duty now, and now you're on duty. When you've got two kids or more, right now, all of a sudden, you're on one-on-one. You're on solo duty on stuff, all right? And, and I'm telling you, my wife, she's, she, she is an angel from God because she has to deal with me on things that I do in our family. But listen, when, they, when that second child comes, everything changes. And so we said, those are the people that when everything changes, that we want to impact their world. We want to change their world. When they're saying, what in the world are we doing now? How can we do this thing called family? Now, some of you, in fact, probably about 50 or more percent of you in the room do not fit that category of what I just described. You're going, great, what is he saying? Is he going to kick me out of the church? Am I not allowed to come in? No. Here's what I'm saying. I want you to know that that's our target because my target is to help build those families up with intentionality. And it takes, it takes a village to raise a family. Back in the 1700s, 1800s, they used to have something called barn raisings. You ever heard about them, right? So somebody would, would begin to build a barn and it would take the entire community to come out to raise up the different walls of the barn. And they'd have an entire day where they would all gather together in order to build the barn. Now, could you imagine in that community if somebody says, hey, I want to build a barn. And everybody in the community says, man, it's a great idea. None of us ever done that before. 
the likelihood of success for that barn raising is going to be? It's going to be very, very small. And so our hope and desire is, is that we have lots of people in the room to come around those families who are saying, I want to build a family. I don't want to have something that's just born and unintentionally goes through life, and I at the back side of it go, did I do that? I want to build something. And so it's important. And so if you're here right now and you're like, well, I didn't fit that earlier category, you fit the second category of, I want to turn you into barn raising experts, into family building experts, all of us in this room, so that as we come alongside of these young families who go, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, you get to go, I didn't either. Maybe you did, because somebody else helped you along the way. But you get to go, here's the things that I learned, here's the things that I see the scripture teaches, and here's how we can do this together. And let's build families together. You know, my second point kind of parlays really off this first point about um, families are not born, they're built. My second point is this, it says that our families are either designed by us or for us. Our families are either designed by us or for us. Let's look back at that amplified version for just a second. It said, through skillful and godly wisdom, a home, a house, a life, a family is built to last. Through skillful and godly wisdom. And I wrote down this question, and I have some more co-curling moments inside of this message, but this one made me just kind of cringe because I had to ask the question of myself, am I skillfully building my family? Or am I more like that moment where I tried to fix the fridge? Hmm. See, there are intentional and unintentional things which we do, when we look back at our families, we say those inevitable words, did I do that? I think the goal, the goal should be, instead of asking the question, is to be able to look forward and say, I did that. With confidence and with maturity, instead of fear and trepidation. And here's how we do it. Here's the first piece of the puzzle. We have to do that through pursuing godly wisdom in raising our families. All right, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, he writes that if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to it freely. Solomon, and again in Proverbs verses, chapter 2, verse 6, he says this. He said, the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. And again, the Amplified Version says he gives skillful and godly wisdom. That's what he gives. Then Solomon, a little bit later, uh, in 1215, he says that the way of the fool seems right in his own eyes. And in chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon writes that the fool despises wisdom. Listen, our family will follow one of two blueprints. Say, oh, no, there's all kinds of different families. No, there's really only two that exist for the family. There's God's plan and the world's plan. God's plan and the world's plan. And like as I was riding through and, and thinking about the world's plan, wow, 
fact, one, one person that I read, and they were talking about the same kind of idea. They said, well, you either you know, design your family or you get the default. And I was like, yeah, but default has like this like, oh, it's the reset button, this is the default settings. And I don't know about you, but I look at what our families look like today versus 10 years ago versus 20 years ago versus 30 years ago, and the default doesn't look the same to me. Because a family that was defaulted 10 years ago is a whole lot better than a family that defaults today. And the family that defaulted 30 years ago is tremendously ahead of the family that defaults today. And I think there's a reason for that. That's because there's not a default setting when it comes to our families. There's a God setting and there's a world setting. And the world doesn't care about your family. In fact, the world promotes and pushes forward you're an individual. You don't have to worry about your family, do whatever it is that you want. You know, trying to pursue godly things and godly wisdom as we build our families is hard. I mean, I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We, I, I heard this quote, it says, we take moments of ministry and turn them into moments of misery. That's what our sinful nature does inside of us. We take moments of ministry and turn them into moments of misery. You see, we have moments when our spouses fail us. It happens. They don't live up to an expectation that we have about how it is that we should do something. We have moments where air conditioning fails us. It's warm in here. I appreciate you guys hanging with me. We'll, uh, we'll get that figured out this next week. But we have those sorts of moments. And in that moment, we get to make a choice. Am I going to give grace and love to my wife or am I going to complain? And tell her what my needs are that I'm not being met here. Why can you not meet me where I'm at? I hate going to the store. Anybody else with me about that? You hate going to the store? Thank you. Thank you. I hate going to the store. My wife doesn't particularly like to do it either, but she always likes to do it with me. I don't know how that works that shopping always includes Charles go shopping with me. Now, here's the honest truth about who I am. In that moment, I have an opportunity to minister to my wife and give her something that she needs, and most of the time, I make it as miserable an experience as possible so that she'll never want to invite me to go with her ever again. Ever been there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not proud of this moment. I'm telling you the truth. Because we have that moment. Listen, our selfishness Let's us settle for quick and easy solutions inside of our homes. It lets us, it prevents us from getting to the heart of the matter. And most often, our selfishness will lead to cheap and hollow. Hmm. 
That's true. I don't want to dig in and have a fight with my wife to figure something out and find out what's at the bottom of the root of the problem. Those are hard conversations. I'd much rather take whatever the easy thing is. Why? Why do I want to take the easy thing? Because I don't want to deal with it. You know what happens when I don't deal with it? Usually it comes back up again. Still have to deal with it later on in the future. And what else happens when I don't deal with it? When I look back on it and I realize the opportunity that I missed, I realize how cheap I am sometimes. I realize how disgusted I should be with myself for not loving her in the same way that Christ loves me. Here's the second thing. Not only are we a sinner, but our family is full of sinners. Right? Not only are we a sinner in the things that we do, but guess what? The other people that are in our families are sinners too. This means this. It means that when they have done something wrong, right? We experience the fullness of their sin, the consequences of it, the pain, the agony. It all comes on us too. Why? Because we love them and we're in proximity to them. And when you're in closeness and proximity to somebody else's sin and sinful nature, guess what? You get hurt too. So why are families hard? Not only because we're a sinner, but it's also hard because everybody else in our family is a sinner too. And so the same things that I said about myself where I take moments that could be ministry and turn them into moments of misery, guess what? My wife does the same thing. When she does that, guess who's collateral damage inside of that? I am. Because that's the nature that exists inside of us. Look, I can tell you all kinds of stories of moments in time where somebody else's sin affected me. It wasn't something that I was directly involved in, right? But the fallout that happened took me down with it. And I'm sure you guys could probably come up with all of those sorts of things and listen, most of the time, most of the time when we have a marital adjustment, right, we won't call it a fight, we'll call it a marital adjustment, that's all that's going on there. Most of the time, one or both of us is in the midst of sinning inside of that marital adjustment. Here's the third thing. All families, all families are in a sinful way. So not only are we sinners, not only are the other people that are in our family sinners, but every message that they get in the world around them is a message of, see, that's God saying we've got to pay attention. <laughs> every message that comes to them is a message from a sinful world about the things that the sinful world says is okay for them to do. It pushes forward messages that, quite frankly, are, most of them, atrocious if you're really trying to build your family effectively. Now, just to be clear, I want to make sure everybody knows I've used a big, I've used a churchy word in sinners for a moment. And I'll be clear about what that churchy word means. So a sinner is anybody who doesn't live up to God's perfect standard. Sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. God has a mark for us. 
And anything that doesn't hit that mark, you say, well, what is that mark? Well, listen, I say sin is anything that I think, say, do, or don't do that doesn't please God. You want to sum up the Ten Commandments? It's all about things that are pleasing to God. Why? Why do I try to please Him? Well, because He's the only one that's perfect and holy. There's nobody else. And so when I say the word sin and sinners, I'm talking about us as people who have fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot reach it or obtain it. And so here's the reality of our families. We understand that God has a standard for what our family should look like. And we understand that the world has designed for our families. And we're like, I can't quite get over here to God's standard, but I reject the world's standard. And so what happens as a result is that you and I, we live in the stress and the tension between the real and the ideal. Ever striving towards what the ideal is and ever rejecting what the real is that's behind us. That's the tension that our family should live in today. here's what happens when you live in that kind of stress is that you forget about what you're rejecting behind you and you just look over here and you go I'm not good enough I can't quite do that my family doesn't look like that and we begin to hear the message in our head of it's because you are not good enough it's because your family is not good enough it's because they're terrible people it's because you didn't teach them enough it's because of all of these things and I want you right now just reject that and understand that that's not why our families fail our families fail because we're sinners because they're sinners and because we live in a sinful world but but if we pursue godly wisdom and build up our families with godly wisdom Build a life, a house, a home, a family that lasts. What an incredible truth. What an incredible promise that is. Over the next six weeks, we're going to begin to unfold a family plan. What does that look like in my family? How do I pursue godly wisdom? And so each week, we're going to take a new piece of the word family, F-A-M-I-L, Last week you needed to do a Y or an E, depending on how you can spell family. All right? And we're going to look at each one of those. And we're going to give you something to focus on as part of a family plan as you pursue godly wisdom in building your home. Listen, I heard a beautiful quote this week from a pastor friend of mine about why it is that we keep striving. When we find ourselves living between the real and the ideal and that stress and tension is too much, why do we keep striving? His quote was this. He said, we keep pedaling so that we can experience the breeze. We keep pedaling so that we can experience the breeze. Look, we can't make the breeze. But we can do the pedaling and let God do the rest. And when we get to experience that and experience what God does because we just keep our feet on the pedal, it's a pretty amazing and powerful thing. Let's pray. God, I thank you.
thank you that you have a blueprint for our families. Because you care about us. God, that we can begin to pursue godly wisdom. It's not an unknowable thing, God, that you had James write that it's something that if we just ask you for, that you give it to us. And not only do you give it to us, God, but you give it without any sort of grudge or any sort of looking down on us. Why don't we have that sort of thing? God, you give it to us because you love us. I, I pray that the church of Australia can be known as a church that loves families. God, that leans into families for the purpose of helping those That's what I desire for this community.